Welcome to Can They Do That? brought to you by Scott Law Team, the employment law firm. We are excited to discuss recent employment issues and events that affect your everyday life. Keep in mind this podcast is educational and is not a substitute for legal advice or professional consultation. If you need help, you can reach us at scottlawteam.com. Welcome to Can They Do That, a podcast by the Scott Law Team. My name is Gabe Roberts. I'm an associate attorney here with the firm, and I'm here with Kathleen Scott, our managing partner. Kathleen, how are you doing? Great, thanks. Thanks for coming down from Jacksonville. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, So today's question for the topic of can they do that is, can my employee still sue me for wrongful termination if they quit? Great question. And as with everything in labor and employment law, the answer is it depends circumstances leading up to the separation, right? So in general, we caution employers against firing folks once they've complained in the workplace, because that might be construed as retaliation. But I think your question really drives at something different. It sounds like in your question, you're saying the employee's fed up, right? They've been there a bit, they're frustrated with the way things are going, um, and they quit out of that frustration. And do they have a claim? And so there is a concept in the law known as constructive discharge, which just means that it's gotten to be so intolerable that the employee can't take it anymore. And so they've decided to quit. In certain circumstances, they can have a claim just like someone who was fired. Um, but those are it's a really high bar. And I'm sure you know this, and it's mostly for our listeners, that bar is enormously difficult. And so the workplace has to become so intolerable that the employee is forced to quit. They feel like they have to choose between their health and well-being and their continued employment. And so most of the cases that talk about this really come down in favor of the employer saying that they don't meet the threshold. And so some examples, that have been considered as not being constructively discharged because it's easier to right. talk about it in that negative yeah. way is um, being berated in public, receiving a poor evaluation, being reprimanded because they heard that the employee, someone was going to be fired um, and receiving criticism and insults. So that's, those sound pretty bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's right to discuss this as a high bar because that's, it needs to be something so pervasive and consistent. It can't just be a single act. It needs to be going on and on. You know, there's, there's one case from the Florida Supreme Court where they almost, they describe it using the word escape. You know, I think the quote is the, the employee involuntarily resigns in order to escape an intolerable and illegal employment requirement. Right. And I think looking at it in that, in that context of it needs to be something that is yeah. so terrible, so yeah. disgusting that I have to escape this. That's, you know, sounds extreme, but that's kind of the way to look at it. It is. And I think in my personal practice, um, 25 years of doing this, I've only seen a handful of cases actually meet the bar. And one of them was a sexual harassment claim where the employee complained about harassment and the harassment continued and decided I'm leaving because it went from comments to conduct to physical conduct. And so the complaint happened early on and then the physical conduct, physical, I'll I'll call it a sexual assault because that's really what it was. uh, That was enough to get Mm -hmm. past the constructive discharge standard. So that's how high it is. And so I think the takeaway for employees is don't quit yet. Try to get some legal help first or go to HR before you quit and kind of crystallize your complaint. Because if you're going to leave, leave um, in a way that elevates your legal position. And you can do that just by communicating your concerns. Also, the kind of the general rule with employers is if they don't know it's broken, they don't know how to fix it or how to help you. So the lesson for employees is you might be having all these internal struggles and all these internal things that are happening and you're attributing all these bad motives to your employers. And you might be right, but if you've never voiced those concerns and the employer hasn't had an opportunity to fix them, um, you're never going to meet that high bar to be able to sue them for those things. So that's, I think that's an important takeaway. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's tough, right? If you're an employee and you're listening to this, uh, particularly if you're an employee and you're in a work environment that, that feels to you like this is intolerable, this is hostile, I'm being bullied, I'm being harassed, and you're being told, hey, stick it out, don't quit. And also you're being told that you need to go to your employer and tell them about this. You know, that in a practical sense can be difficult, right? Because right. what if the person that you need to complain to is friends with the individual that's harassing you? What if you know or you, you think at least that it doesn't matter what I complain about, they're never going to do anything about this. There's sort of a, uh, a, a, a fatal mindset to it where there, there's no point in doing this, right? Yeah. So for the employees out there listening who has those thoughts or thinks that, what do you recommend that they do? Don't quit, first of all. Um, and, and, and just know that, you know, our firm, we have like urgent care for employees. If you need to have like almost like a consultation, you can schedule that. We'll walk you through and help you navigate through that difficult situation. But the, the short answer to our listeners is don't quit first. But you got to at least try, go through the steps. Um, and the reason is if you want to be able to have a claim for the wrongdoing that you've endured, there's both an objective and a subjective component. So there's the way you feel about it, but then there's going to be the way others look at you and be like, well, that's not so bad. I've put up with a whole lot worse. So it has to be objectively really difficult environment. So I think the best step um, is to really vocalize uh, and uh, to follow up with writing. And let me tell you what I mean by that. It's not enough to go to your HR and say, I feel mistreated. Uh, I think you need to go to HR and tell them you miss you feel mistreated and tell them why. And then you need to go back to your computer and sit down and write an email to HR saying, thanks so much for listening to my complaints. Just wanted to put some of those in writing. And I think it's important to speak the language of risk. So what you're putting in writing is something that the employer needs to address because it either feels like harassment, which is being treated differently because of your age, your race, your sex, your religion, national origin, or some other protected characteristic. Um, so my advice is don't just quit. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, and if you do, if you've already quit and you're listening to this podcast, I do want to also say you may have other claims. So we're not saying that, you know, just because you quit, you don't have a claim. We're saying that if you quit and it wasn't constructive discharge, you might not have a claim for wrongful discharge, but there might be a host of other issues to take a look at. Right. There's things that happen throughout the employment that may or may not rise to level legal claims. This is just something to be aware of if what you want to claim is your termination or right. your or the end of your employment. So we've been talking about the phrase hostile work environment, right? And and you mentioned just now protected characteristics and, and some other legal phrases in there. I think that's an important thing we want to highlight here, right? Yeah. Because I'll have a lot of conversations with individuals who will, will come to us and they'll say, my work environment, it is so hostile and this is happening and I can't take it anymore, right? And there's a... Uh, a, a lay person or a practical idea of what, what it means to be in a hostile environment. And then there's a legal definition of what actually is a hostile work environment and also what it needs to be hostile towards, right? Correct. So yeah. walk, walk me through that. You know, if somebody wants to actually say they're in a hostile environment, what is the difference between that legally versus practically? Right. And so if your employer shouts um, offensive communications at you, uses perfect profanity, belittles you, mistreats you, yells at you, might even, I'm not going to say throw things at you because that might actually cross a different line, <laughs> but um, that's not, that doesn't necessarily mean you're in a hostile work environment. And I feel like every time I say that to a client, the look on their faces yeah. say what? Um, so that's what it's not. Let me, so let me, let me answer the question by saying what it is. It's only hostile work environment under the legal definition. If the environment is premised 
hostile towards a particular group or a protected characteristic. So if you're a female and your boss is yelling at you, you stupid girl, or using the B word, maybe that is an example of a hostile, the beginning of a hostile work environment. It's a pretty high threshold. It has to be severe and pervasive. Um, so it has to usually it has to happen over a period of time, but sometimes one act can be enough if it's a pretty egregious act. But if it's not based on gender, then you're not going to have a hostile work environment, right? Based on sex, it could be a hostile work environment premise on race. Um, but then you would need to show that individuals outside of your race are treated more favorably. Usually, that's shown by like common words or epithets or things like that. Um, so it's not a one size fits all when it's a bad. So bad place to work does not equal hostile environment. And there's a lot of really, really bad places to work um, where the bosses are jerks. And I'd like to say that, you know, being a jerk is not illegal. Yeah, right. <laughs> if it was, <laughs> we'd be very, very busy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the idea of you can have a horrible boss, but if they're not a horrible boss for an illegal reason, it, it doesn't matter. Right? right. And I think that that confuses a lot of people. And, and frankly, I, I get why, right? Because right. You know, we have words that mean something to us in one sense, but don't don't mean the same thing legally. Right. Like, is it fair? Well, fairness yeah. isn't really the workplace isn't about fairness. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like toddlers. Right. I know. Mom, it's not fair. <laughs> he got this and I didn't get that. So the workplace doesn't have to be fair. It doesn't have to be equal. It just has to be um, neutral when it comes to things like age, race, sex, gender, uh, national origin, discrimination and other protected characteristics. Right. Yeah. The workplace needs to be non-discriminatory, which non-discriminatory doesn't mean equal, doesn't mean fair. Maybe it should, but that's just not this. That's not the status of the law as it is yeah. currently. Right. I had an in interesting intake about wearing of the mask and people thought, well, it's not fair. I don't want to work at a workplace that makes me want to wear a mask. We went through that whole thing with the pandemic. And so, um, you know, unless we mask wearing triggers one of those protected characteristics, you know, like age, race, sex, and religion is the one that people try to get to press that button, but right. it didn't quite work because let's be honest, I'm not aware of any religious doctrine that deals with mask wearing. Although I give a lot of credit to those creative folks who try to make that argument, it didn't really fly. And here in Florida, um, that argument was pretty seriously revoked by pretty much every circuit that I'm aware of. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those, uh, the, one of those topics that, that is a good example. Um, you know, we're talking a lot right now from a, the employee perspective in the sense of, you know, kind of saying, hey, these things are really hard to prove. These are high bars. Your workplace needs to be, uh, you know, not just really bad, needs to be objectively terrible, I guess, to, to use a, right. a, a non-legal yes. phrase, but, right. you know, whatever it is, right? You're the employer. You're hearing this. Uh, hopefully there's no, you know, uh, Mr. Burns is out there, you know, uh, you know, twiddling their fingers and, and cackling at all the stuff they can get away with, but just because you can get away with more things, right? Mm -hmm. If you're talking to an employer, an employer client comes in and is saying, hey, I want to make sure I'm doing things correctly, but I also don't want to hold, you know, myself to too high of a standard or whatever, you know, what is it that the employer should be aware of when figuring out is my work environment, have I crossed that line? Yeah, well, I think the employer needs to have policies and handbooks and guidelines, right? Um, but the employer should also know that those policy handbooks and guidelines, they can't be sued for having them, um, even if they violate them. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I think that's a good step, you know, right. for the employer to set the tone um, by either having core values or having a a articulated handbook, mission statement, things like that, to tell people we, we strive to be a fair and equal place to work they're probably going to fail because ultimately managers are human beings and they're going to make bad decisions on bad days. Some of those are going to be, you know, risk worthy. Others are going to be just general mistakes, but probably they can't be sued for them. So I think the advice to employers is start with 
telling your employees what the goals are and then lead from the top, right? It all starts from the top. So if the manager comes in every day and flip-flops and, you know, is looking schlumpy, but then wants to write people up for violating the dress code, it's like, okay, you really do need to lead from the top and you need to have your managers really be um, top notch and kind of like understand that they have to set the examples. You can't expect your employees to, to do as you say, they have, they tend to do it as you do. And they tend to look at management for being that, that guideline, that role play. And so likewise, management needs to have a calm response when employees have issues. People are going to have complaints. It's not a just act of disloyalty to ask a question of your employer. And so I think especially small businesses who, you know, spend so much time building their business, any little criticism can feel like a personal attack. And so if, if you're that personality and you're that small business owner that's listening to this, you got to find somebody else in management to receive those complaints because that's just not going to work for you. Yeah. You know, hearing you you say that earlier in the podcast, we were talking about em- employees and and what is hostile, what is, isn't hostile. And I'm thinking, you know, the idea is basically you, you need to have thick skin, right? Yeah. Which, which yeah. doesn't sound fair. And I'm not saying that's right, but that's right. unfortunately the reality is that if you're an employee in a work environment that is, is what you think is maybe hostile, you need to have thick skin in order to show objectively that, no, this went through my thick skin and was still wrong. Mm-hmm. And likewise, like you just said there, you're talking about employers and, and responding to potential complaints, you know, an, an employee comes to you and says, Hey, I don't like the way that you spoke to me about this, or I don't like the way, right. you know, uh, manager Joe told me to do this or that. You may want to respond in a way that is, uh, y- you may take it personally, especially if you are a small business, it is your company and somebody's questioning, questioning you, so right. to speak, right? So yes. how do we apply that same thick skin to the, the employers and managers here? Yeah, so they. I think you have to have a sit-down meeting with your managers and teach them how to interpret a complaint the right way. I always say the first thing out of your mouth, thank you so much for letting me know, um, document it, and then be objective, right? And so when I look at small employers, I can almost usually find places where they can improve um, their systems. One of the places is uh, the way that they elevate or promote people. That's a great place to look because – if you're just doing a tap on the shoulder, hey, Bob, my friend came in and I'm going to put him in a management position, you're probably going to have, you're going to have a perception of unfairness, mm-hmm. right? So I think employers can set metrics. They can try to outline what a good work week looks like so that the expectations are clear. I can't tell you how many times that I sit with an employee and they're like, well, I'm doing all these things. But the employer's like, that was the worst employee I've ever had. And mm-hmm. it's because the the expectations of what a good work week looks like aren't set forth. So the employee thinks they're answering the phones, they're cleaning the bathrooms, they're ordering dish soap when it runs low. But the employer's only looking at how many new people did they sign up per week. And so there's a disconnect between what the employer is judging them for performance versus what the employee thinks good performance looks like. So now it doesn't have to be formal. It can just be a simple memo. Hey, this is the expectation. And also feedback, regular feedback. So they need to have sit down one-on-ones as often as possible so that the employee can be evaluated and know kind of, are they on track? Are they not on track? I know you know this from working here. I like to use the stair analogy. I like to draw a set of stairs and then put the job categories of what each step looks like. And then so the employee knows like, how many more steps do I have to climb before I master my job description? I think those are really important goalposts for employees because if they don't know where the goalpost is, they're going to set their own. And it's probably not going to be the goalpost that the employer wants them to hit. And so 
they might think it's everything is awesome. I'm here. I have a smile on my face. I show up every day. And the employer's like internally getting so irritated because they're not producing the kind of work the employer wants. So I think that is a really important tip. Um, and I talked a little bit about promotions. I do think having some metrics for performance, but also having the opportunity to advance. Uh, when we do um, workplace investigations, we usually ask people overall, you know, what are what are the things that you're happy with or dissatisfied with here? And commonly we hear, um, you know, the workplace, the people in management don't look like me, you know, or, or it's all male dominated workplace where all male dominated management, but the workforce is, you know, pretty mixed in terms of gender. So I think employers need to focus on setting guidelines, metrics, as well as making it clear what the pathway is to success for doing your job, but also like to be elevated within the company, like what is the promotion techniques and so if they don't have um, objective criteria, they're going to get in trouble, right? Yeah. Especially in this whole like diversion and inclusion, blah, 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 day and age, where I think employers can really be like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of resources out there for, for employers to, to do the bare minimum. We're talking about diversity yeah. and, and equity and inclusion. But, um, you know, you brought up perception earlier, and I think that's that's relevant because especially when we're talking about from the hostile work environment, constructive discharge, and what meets those criteria or not. You're talking about the employee sitting there, right? Yeah. And what they feel, but you know, it's a cliche, but your feelings are not facts. Right. And that matters. That's a in, good way to in, it. in the context of litigation. But likewise on the flip side, we're talking about the uh the employee the employer, right? And if they don't have these objective criteria in place you're discussing, they're gonna create a perception in the workplace and that perception is reality to the employees, right? Right. And so now you've created a perception that is a reality to your employees and then to come full circle because of that reality, that is why they're feeling the way they are. And even if what you're doing may not rise to the level mm -hmm. of certain legal claims, just because something does not rise to the level of legal claim has never stopped somebody from trying to get it there anyways, right? And That's you, right. And, and you may be dealing with a lot of either upset employees, you may be getting letters from attorneys, or depending on who the attorney is, you know, or who the employee is, you might get sued anyways because you've created this sort of perception in your workplace that you have created what the employee feels is hostile. Right. And so that's something I think it's important for How do you employers. overcome that, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Is... And that's where the idea of having the objective criteria in place is. It addresses that idea of not creating that perception that, hey, the environment is like this just because I don't like you. When real mm -hmm. realistically, it's like, no, no, I have objective reasons why I'm making the decisions I'm making and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's why you employee X are here and why, you know, this employee Z is over there, right? Right. And so I'm going to throw out some suggestions to employers are looking. Do an employee survey, right? right. Find out what, how what's good and what's right and what's uh, and make it anonymous if you really want truthful answers. Consider having core values, but don't just put them at the water cooler with like, oh, hey, we care about integrity. Like live by them, hire by them, evaluate by them, and let employees self-evaluate how are they meeting the core values. And if your employees don't know the core values, then you're, then you're failing. Yeah, <laughs> and right. that's just as simple as that, right? Have regular sit-downs, have metrics, and great idea to have a job description. I think it's a balance, too, between a culture of, this is what's on your job description, but your job is also to do whatever needs to be doing because mm -hmm. you don't want to have that sort of like rigidity where like you can't ever deviate, you know, from your job description. And mm -hmm. I, 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 for us, you know, we're a small office. I think what are we, 15 employees, 16 maybe now? And like, I don't want to create an environment where like, oh, it's not on my job description, so it's not my job. So it's a very difficult dance, right, with mm -hmm. employees. I think. Yeah. You know, I, I like the idea of bringing up core values and, and having those sort of uh, pillars or values, whatever you want to call them. You know, the 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 best place I worked before this, of course, yeah. um, was a job I had in college. And it was uh, 
a place that had a mission and a vision and values, but it was more than just like you said, posted in the water cooler right. or posted online. I mean, from the director of this place down down, every single decision that was made in that in that workplace, from the smallest thing of where someone's office was mm-hmm. to larger positions of who gets promoted, who gets moved here, who gets assigned what responsibilities, every decision, again, director on down had to be justified by applying one of the core values of the business to that, right? And that way, if you could do that, and and it was likewise if you were an employee and you were trying to present an idea, if you could present your idea in the context of the core values, they were like, okay, sure, yeah, if you can justify it, let's do it, right? Mm -hmm. And that sort of objective criteria creates a workplace where employees not only feel, you know, emboldened, but also they understand why things are happening. And they know what the rules are, right? Yeah. Right, that's an important thing. I think having that scorecard is helpful too. Um, okay. So just to kind of go back and summarize, you know, we've been talking about constructive discharge, but then got into a conversation about a hostile work environment and then also employer policies, right? So what are the, the main takeaways that uh, somebody listening to the podcast today should, should get? Can they do that? Can they really treat me unfairly? <laughs> yes, they can. Get over right. it. Life is not fair. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but your employer does have a duty to maintain a workplace that's free from harassment, that's premised on a protected characteristic, and to maintain a workplace that's free from discrimination. That's different than fairness. Um, and so if this table was like all the examples of like things that were unfair, probably only what fits in my copy cup would be things that are actually done because of gender, race, one of those protected characteristics. So be careful not to equate fairness with discrimination because they're different. Um, Not all environments are the same. And what's a hostile environment also has to be charged um, by some type of protected characteristic because of gender, that sort of thing. Um, And, you know, look, we talked a little bit about employee policies and why it's a good idea for employers to really have a goal have a goal line or have a score card so that employees know what is required of them. And they can do that by having job descriptions, clearly articulated um, core values. If you feel like you're getting a lot of letters and a lot of people are complaining, probably a good idea to do an employee survey, take a temperature of your employee workforce and then make, make a plan to, to make it improve it, make it better, um, and maybe set some core values. The more objective your criteria is in the workplace, um, the, the more important I think employees will perceive it as a fair environment and hopefully um, they'll be judged based on that and that will elite, like eliminate, won't eliminate, but it'll reduce uh, <laughs> right. claims for discrimination, that type of thing. Right. If you're trying to get 100% satisfaction, yeah. you're never going to achieve that. <laughs> yeah, I guess and I'll, if, uh, advice to employers, if all else fails and make sure if you have 15 or more employees that you get some EPLI insurance <laughs> policies because try as we may for perfection, you know, um, it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's yeah. hard to get it right all the time. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for all your information today, Kathleen. Thank you so much for joining Can They Do That? For everything employment law related, please visit us at our next episode or in the meantime at our website at scottlawteam.com. Until then. <laughs>